That meant that with the policy response, we were able to kind of correct for uh, the fact that lots of people um, at the bottom were disproportionately likely to have lost employment. Right. So I have to say that this to me was an extraordinary result from Eliza's work showing that on average, this extra unemployment benefits together with the regular benefits was able on average to completely cushion the blow uh, for people so that even though low-wage workers were losing their jobs at much, much higher rates, thanks to the benefits, they weren't losing income at all. Juana, it is great to be here to have this conversation with you. Um, you know, one of the things that we're finding at this, um, our work at the Center for High Impact Philanthropy is um, a lot of concern and frankly, some confusion around um, how COVID is affecting um, people's jobs and who's being affected. And on the one hand, you, you know, you, you see the headlines about the great resignation, right? People who can afford to are just leaving their jobs Right, right. You know, and then on the other hand, um, we know there are many folks who um, can't afford to sort of move to Portugal and, and, and think of their next their next um, phase of employment and real concerns about um, just basic livelihoods and how people are going to provide um, for themselves and their families. So um, tell us a little bit more about um, why that issue prompted you to seek out your colleague Eliza Forsyth's work. Right. So, you know, I was really interested in how all the policies, right, that we had during COVID, how did they help? Because, you know, what mm -hmm. Eliza's paper is looking at is, you know, first, how did job loss impact people? And it's pretty astounding what she finds is that low-wage workers, lower-income folks were four times more likely to lose their jobs during the pandemic than high-wage workers. So, you know, the pandemic job loss was so heavily concentrated on people who already had a harder time getting by. Yeah. And the amazing thing, right, what she found is that the programs we've had, the unemployment insurance program in particular, which was really beefed up considerably during the pandemic, it completely compensated for that on average, meaning that all these lower income people who lost their jobs, their unemployment insurance benefits completely replaced their loss on average. There are some people who, you know, who fell through the cracks and you'll hear more, but on yeah. average, we did an amazing job. So that's that sounds like a policy bright spot, right? We we knew right. there were disparities. Um, we people who were already vulnerable to begin with because they had low wages were more likely to lose their jobs. But it sounds like the policy response compensated for that. That's exactly right. And now you know, I want us to listen to Eliza Forsyth. Great. The COVID-19 pandemic led to massive job losses and massive government support as well for these workers who lost their jobs. And our guest today, Eliza Forsyth, is an economics professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And you can follow her on Twitter at Eliza Forsyth. And, uh, you know, I'm really glad to have Eliza with us today because she has extensively studied the labor market during COVID-19 with multiple papers, and she will help us understand the impact of this crisis on inequality, as well as the way in which government intervention was able to address the inequality that was generated by the crisis. Welcome to the show, Eliza. Thanks for having me on. 
Um, so Eliza, we're talking today about a couple of studies you did using the nationally representative current population survey. So, you know, for everybody, this is the official survey that's used to measure the unemployment rate in the U.S. So based on this survey, we can look at what happened to people during the COVID-19 pandemic. So during this crisis, what was the extent of job loss? And in particular, did all workers have the same risk of losing their jobs or were low-wage workers more heavily impacted? Right. So we saw very early on that job loss was very substantial, um, but it wasn't evenly distributed. So when we look at the data, we found that low wage workers were a lot more likely to have lost their job while higher wage workers, although there was still incidents of job loss, it was much less severe. Right. So, uh, you know, since the COVID-19 pandemic, obviously a lot of things happened there. In particular, there were closures, closures of our businesses like restaurants. And so obviously people in these industries were more heavily affected. So what do we know about the impact of job loss by industry or by type of job? And did low-wage industries like restaurants, for example, lose more jobs in general? Right. So a lot of the jobs that were kind of service economy based jobs, uh, face to face types of jobs, those were the ones that were really the most severely affected. And so industries like leisure and hospitality um, services like that, those were the ones that we saw the biggest contraction. And so workers that worked in those industries were disproportionately affected. But at the same time, even if we look inside those highly impacted industries and we look at which types of workers lost their jobs, it was the lower wage workers and the lower wage occupations in those industries that lost their jobs at higher rates compared to you know, uh, management workers and um, other workers that typically earn higher wages. Right. So this is an important finding because it means even if we focus on an industry like restaurants, even within restaurants, those who lost their jobs were the absolutely lowest paid on average. And those who were higher paid, like maybe managers, were somewhat less likely to lose their jobs, which is a very interesting thing to see. So if we go back to the comparison between the low-wage workers and the high-wage workers in general, how much more likely were low-wage workers to lose their jobs during the pandemic as compared to high-wage workers? Or is there a way we can put a number on it? So when we look at people based on where they were in the earnings distribution, we found that people that were in the lowest 20% of the wage distribution uh, that were four times more likely to lose their job uh, than people that were at the top 20% of the wage distribution. So right. although people at the top also lost their jobs, um, much less likely to have right. lost their jobs. And just to clarify, the bottom 20%, that means that the people, the one-fifth of the population that makes the lowest wages, those people were disproportionately more likely to lose their job. So you said four times more than the people who are in the top fifth, uh, you know, who are making the highest wages at the top fifth of the population. Exactly. Right. Um, so, you know, one we've seen, therefore, just saw that low-wage workers lost their jobs in a much more frequent way than high-wage workers. And of course, there's often some relationship between uh, wages and race with minority workers often making less. And more generally, we're just interested in the impact of job loss on workers of different races. So within this pandemic, where non-white workers more likely to lose their jobs. Anecdotally, we know that a lot of them worked in the hospitality sector. We mentioned restaurants earlier. So one could think that indeed they lost their jobs more often. Um, so, you know, what happened there in terms of uh, who was most affected by race? 
Right. So we found that Black workers and Hispanic workers were substantially more likely to have lost their jobs compared to white workers. Um, But uh, we find some of it can be explained by the types of jobs that they worked in, but not all of it. So there's still this gap that remains that even people that you know, we're working in the same job, the same industry, the same occupation as a white worker, the black worker or the Hispanic worker would be more likely to have lost their job. Right. So that's really key here, because, again, you might say one of the reasons why uh, black workers might have lost their jobs more is simply because of the industries that they were working in. But what Eliza's work shows is that even for a given industry, say the restaurant industry, it's the case that within that uh, black workers were more likely to lose their jobs. So it's an across the, the uh, an across the board increase in uh, racial inequality that the pandemic brought about. Uh- That's right. Yeah. And one thing we also find is that it actually, so we went through February of 2021 and we saw that the black and white gap actually widened over that period. So it's, it's actually something that's continued to get worse during the course of the pandemic. That's really fascinating because you might have thought that as the economy was getting a little bit better, uh, that gap would uh, close. And of course, I suppose everybody was finding some jobs, but it's just that uh, white workers found jobs so much faster than black workers. Exactly, exactly. Right. So if we take it uh, all together, then we've seen that uh, a lot of people lost their jobs and disproportionately among lower wage uh, workers. So if we... uh, take it then in terms of the effect, not just on losing your job, but how much income you lost, because now you don't have a job, so you don't have income. So what was the effect of the pandemic in terms of the total income, how it affected the income of lower wage workers and higher wage workers? Right. So because of that disproportionate job loss at the bottom of the wage distribution, when we look at the wage distribution during the pandemic, it actually became more regressive. So lower income people were had lower income, even more lower income during the pandemic because they disproportionately lost their jobs. So it made inequality worse um, if we just look at the consequences of job loss. Right. And so precisely that's where government stepped in, right, and uh, provided additional uh, unemployment benefits during the pandemic with a number of different programs. And so can you tell me uh, more about these programs and to what extent this additional help from the government in terms of unemployment benefits helped cushion income losses for low-wage workers in particular? Right. So the key policy that we have in the United States is unemployment insurance, which is a way of replacing part of the income that you lost, lose if you lost your job. Uh, But the way our UI system is uh, designed is that it's also pretty regressive because it bakes in sort of what was your income before you lost your job. So typically you get 35 to 40 percent of what you earned. Uh, Now, if you're a higher earning person, then that's maybe enough to get by on for a little while. But if you're somebody that's working uh, very low, uh, very low wages, then that's going to be really hard for you to be able to survive on. Um, And also the way the system is designed is that you have to have had earned enough money in the past year to even qualify and you have to have worked for an approved employer. You can't be a gig worker. You can't be self-employed. So a lot of the people that are working at the very bottom of the income distribution, uh, they don't even qualify for normal unemployment insurance. And so when we have a crisis like we did with the pandemic, if we just had our normal UI system, that would exacerbate the issue even more because the people that are sort of the worst hit 
uh, are the ones that are uh, most in need for these benefits, but they wouldn't even qualify. Right. So, you know, therefore, if we just look for now at the regular benefits, to what extent did that help? Did that not help at all or did that still help a little bit? It certainly helped and it certainly replaced people's income, but it left in place the regressivity of the fact that job loss was worse at the bottom um, and, and also the fact that the lowest income people don't qualify. So it, it didn't correct sort of this, um, the fact that the pandemic was tilted uh, to hurt the, the lower income people the worst. Right. Um, but, but to be clear, it was better because we had regular unemployment benefits than yes. if we didn't have yes. them because otherwise those people would have lost their income completely. Exactly. <laughs> No income at all. Absolutely, yeah. So the the regular UIR is a very important program, and that that was very important for a lot of people. Um, but uh, it's it left people out, and that was sort of the the CARES Act um, was a way of sort of expanding uh, UI eligibility to make sure that all of these people that are left out from our UI system were able to receive benefits. Right. So um, tell us more about what the CARES Act introduced as extra benefits, since we just saw that a lot of people were left out of regular benefits. So what was uh, in the government response to the pandemic that allowed them to give more benefits to more people? So a key part was the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, which really expanded access. Um, and so that was uh, the part that gave benefits to gig workers and self-employed workers. It also gave benefits to people that uh, normally would be shut out because their earnings were too low um, or they hadn't worked enough. They didn't have enough of a work history to qualify for UI. So all of those people that are sort of concentrated at the bottom of the income distribution, the PUA was able to bring them into the UI system. So that was really important for sort of expanding the, the base of people that are actually even eligible. And then the second part was these supplemental payments. Uh, so over the summer of 2020, the $600 a week, which really increased the payments that people were able to receive. So if we take it all together, then between the regular benefits, the pandemic unemployment assistance, and these extra uh, benefit amounts that people were getting, where does that leave us in terms of how the government response on the front of unemployment benefits was able to address the inequality that was created by the pandemic, namely that low-wage workers were disproportionately more likely to lose their jobs? Right. So because of these extra benefits um, and these flat payments that didn't that everybody gets the six hundred dollars a week. Right. It doesn't it isn't based on your prior income. What that meant is that uh, it was able to correct for the regressivity of the crisis. So people at the bottom of the earnings distribution actually were receiving if they were able to get benefits, they were receiving more in benefits than they were receiving in wages before, the, which kind of faded out. And so that meant that with the policy response, we were able to kind of correct for uh, the fact that lots of people um, at the bottom were disproportionately likely to have lost employment. Right. So I have to say that this to me was an extraordinary result from Eliza's work showing that on average, this extra unemployment benefits together with the regular benefits was able on average to completely cushion the blow uh, for people so that even though low-wage workers were losing their jobs at much, much higher rates, thanks to the benefits, they weren't losing income at all. And actually, that was part of the design of the benefits. Uh, that was the goal when they designed, for example, this additional uh, $600 benefits. Initially, the goal was to make sure that people would come out of this hole and have roughly, on average, 
uh, the same amount of income as uh, as before. And you know, your paper shows that overall, again taken on average, this was successful. Uh, so that people were completely uh, insured against income loss on average. But again, I'm saying on average many times because not everybody was. And in particular, some people, and probably especially among the most disadvantaged, face barriers in applying for unemployment benefits. Um, and in particular, you've been looking at this pandemic unemployment assistance program, which was the extra program for gig workers, self-employed, and those who just weren't making enough to get regular benefits. So was everybody able to take advantage of this extra program? Right. So uh, it looks like, so it it's a little bit tricky to figure out who's receiving UI benefits. And uh, certainly not everybody that qualified was able to receive benefits. Um, and certainly people that are more disadvantaged are less likely to receive benefits. Um, the data that I'm using for this, these papers, I have to estimate who's receiving benefits because I can't directly measure. Um, and But we estimate that about half of the people that should have been eligible for PUA were able to receive it. Um, but that's, you know, maybe subject to revision as we keep working on and, and get new and updated data. And for the other programs, it was closer to everybody, right? It looked closer to everybody, but that's probably an overestimate um, compared to what I've seen in, in some of the other research that I've been doing in, in this area. Right. But so the big picture takeaway, though, is that uh, most parts of the unemployment benefit system, workers were broadly able to avail themselves uh, of them, even though there are exceptions. However, this special extra program that was serving the most disadvantaged in many ways, people with irregular uh, incomes, with low incomes, and who didn't qualify for regular benefits, this is the one that seems to have had a much uh, lower take-up, meaning that people who probably are eligible weren't able ultimately to receive the benefits, and maybe only about 50% of people or so, uh, taking it with a grain of salt, were able to to get it. So in that sense, you know, it's, it's great that overall, on average, the government was able to completely soften the blow for people and cover the whole income on average, but there are still some people who were left out, and in particular, the kinds of people who would have been eligible for this pandemic unemployment assistance, like again, the gig workers, the self-employed, those who were making already low wages to start with, probably weren't able to access it. A lot of them weren't able to ultimately access it. Um, yeah. Right. And I mean, that just goes to show having, you know, this was a great policy response that we had, but it was a rapid policy response that made a whole new program that had new roles and was bringing in pe new people to the to the UI system that hadn't, hadn't had access before. And so uh, all of the sort of things that you have to have in place to uh, make people know that it, they're um, able to access it, how to access it, how to navigate the system, those things take a lot more um, investment over the long term. So, you know, we don't want to just have policies that just turn on when it's a crisis, because it's going to mean that, that it's harder for people to actually be able to, to receive the benefits. Right. So until February 2021, which is the data you've been looking at, this Government programs, as we've said, completely reversed the inequality increasing effects of the pandemic. On average, we've seen that some people were left out. Um, so how generous would you say that these policies were relative to similar income support that was provided in prior recessions in the U.S.? In other terms, is this really exceptional compared to prior recessions or how can we understand this response in historical perspective? 
Right. So it really was a remarkable policy with the CARES Act that it was uh, so fast that Congress was able to move really quickly to get this out and that it was also such a massive response. So um, typically, uh, at least in recent recessions, we haven't had this kind of income support. Um, and we also haven't had this expansion of eligibility. So in the Great Recession, we increased how many weeks people could receive benefits for, which was, of course, very helpful. Uh, but they were still getting by on this, you know, 35 to 40 percent replacement rate. And we saw in the Great Recession that it took us a very, very long time to recover uh, versus if we compare sort of where are we now from the pandemic, uh, sort of, uh, you know, what's the the worst shock of the beginning of the pan of the recession to where we are now and compare that line that up to the Great Recession, we've already recovered way faster than we did from the Great Recession. So although we still have a ways to go, you know, it's, uh, I think, a testament to the uh, size and magnitude of the policy response, both the CARES Act and, and other things the government did that was able to kind of uh, keep this from being as as long of a duration of a crisis as it could have been. Right. So it was a pretty amazing uh, response, but obviously we can't necessarily or don't want to keep that going on forever. So, you know, the question then becomes, when can the government safely remove these extra unemployment benefits and if they will remove it, and you know some of it already has been uh, removed, you know to what extent will this increase inequality again? As you know, you've been showing that uh, you know some low-wage workers and black workers were more affected. So basically, is it uh, is it a good idea to remove them? Why should we remove them? And you know how might it impact inequality? Right. So, yeah, we've shown that the policies were really uh, important for kind of uh, preventing inequality and supporting people's income who you know, lost their jobs through no fault of their own. Right. It's this uh, this pandemic and, and recession that uh, caused them to lose their jobs. You know, we haven't gotten back to full employment and there's still lots of people that are out of work. Uh, the evidence that I've seen so far hasn't shown that. Uh, you know, these policies had a very major impact on people's willingness to come back to work. Instead, people seem to still be having concerns about the um, uh, about COVID-19 and then also sort of other other issues related to um, uh, related to the downturn that makes it difficult for people to come back to work. Um, so ideally, we would keep the policies in place until everybody that, you know, wanted to get back to work was able to get back to work. Um, and also, ideally, we would have policies in place that would allow income support for people that have been left behind from the UI system, because the whole point of the UI system is to help support people that lose their jobs through no fault of their own, uh, which right now it's not reaching all the people that are in, you know, should should be able to, to reach, get that kind of support. Um, so I, I would personally like to see uh, the UI system be, you know, expanded and revamped so that we're actually able to reach these people, which also has an important impact on sort of our ability to deal with uh, downturns, right? So this was an important source of stimulus in the economy. And if we're only reaching, you know, 20%, 30% of the people that lose their jobs, then the amount the, that UI can actually help counteract um, a, a downturn is, is really curtailed. Right. So, but, you know, when we're no longer in a recession, is it, you know, appropriate to have an unemployment benefit level that is the same as what people would make while working or might there be issues in doing that? 
Right. Yeah. So there, the question of the exact benefit level, I think, is uh, one that's uh, worth studying more. And different countries have made different decisions, right, about sort of where they want to put that benefit level. Um, but um, at least as long as we're still kind of in the middle of um, a downturn that we haven't fully recovered from, uh, you know, it would be nice that people that were being affected by that were able to have the income support that they need. Right. So, you know, a key uh, result that we've seen here, and I've done some work on this myself, is that while generous unemployment benefits uh, can lead to longer unemployment duration, and I've also shown that, you know, the people tend to uh, send fewer job applications when unemployment benefits are more generous, it doesn't mean that we don't want to make them more generous in a recession, especially. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a key reason for that is that during a recession, number one, there might not be enough jobs out there anyways. So you don't necessarily want people to, in a rat race, apply a lot and there's just mm -hmm. no jobs out there. And secondly, as you said, Eliza, there's an important role for the stimulus effect, which means that getting people into uh, getting money into people's pockets allows them to spend which allows for jobs to be created and you know helps us get out of the crisis faster so you know i think this has been a very interesting policy experiment as far as learning about what would happen if we had very generous by historical standards unemployment benefits and you know again the studies that have looked at the effect on employment or unemployment seem to find very small uh, if any effects uh, which again like makes it less costly as a policy certainly to have uh, during a pandemic or a deep recession so with this brings me to my final question which is based on your research and related research uh, you know, what do we learn about the role of recessions in increasing inequality and how can policy counteract these effects? Right. So every recession is a bit different and the pandemic recession was especially different from from past recessions. But, you know, typically certain sectors are more affected and, you know, employers also have choices about which uh, people they lay off if they're contracting, right? And so it, it appears to be that at least during the pandemic, things were really tilted towards uh, low income low income workers. And you know, having a UI system in place that is just automatically there to provide income support, um, if as long as it's actually reaching the people that lose their job, then that's going to be a great way to counteract the fact that. Uh, certain workers are more more likely to lose their job. So um, I think having a robust system in place that's including everybody, um, so it, including all the gig workers, including all the self-employed workers, including all of the you know people that are either low earning or they don't have a long work history, we want to make sure that those people are included in the system. And that way it can automatically provide this um, counterbalance to any sort of um, inequality in the job loss that might happen during a recession. Great. So, Eliza, you know, this has been super interesting. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks very much. Well, the findings from Eliza's research was really interesting, and I, I already um, can see a lot of implications for the work that our center does and some of the guidance that we provide in our 2022 High Impact Giving Guide. Um, I guess the, the first is around nonprofits that link and help clients navigate benefits access. So, you know, I'm, I'm, when she talks about the role of last mile nonprofits, I think of organizations like Benefits Data Trust, right, which connects um, eligible families, individuals, household to the benefits that, um, that are there for them, but that often they don't know how to get to or claim. Um, 
Right. I mean, that's that's a huge aspect because what some of the economics research shows is that oftentimes the people who are neediest are those who are, you know, find it more difficult to actually jump through mm-hmm. the hoops and access benefits and avail themselves of all the benefits that they could be accessing. And so that's kind of actually an interesting topic to me because sometimes in economics you might think oh you know people are rational so those who need it the most they'll be like wow like this is awesome i qualify i really need this i'm gonna put in the effort but unfortunately oftentimes you see a lot of barriers to access that might affect the people who need it the most yeah, well, and and what one of the things that we've seen too, and certainly benefits data trust as a nonprofit has helped to streamline, is that um, for some of the families who need benefits most, um, they are eligible for multiple benefits, but each of those benefit programs have can have um, very different forms, very different places to go to to access them. So um, anything that can help streamline that access. Um, can, can help those those families and individuals. Right. And in fact, in Eliza's paper, right, one of the things they found is that the pandemic unemployment assistance, which was for people who normally would not be eligible to unemployment mm. insurance, like the self-employed, that was, you know, less likely to be taken up. Many people used it, but by far not everybody who was eligible. And right. that's because it was a right. new program, a little unusual, and probably a lot of people who might have benefited didn't realize I was there or the application was too complicated. So, you know, there there were certainly, even though on average these extra benefits were very helpful, there were still some people who fell through the cracks and some of those people might be among the neediest. So, you know, that's an important thing to remember. That's where nonprofits can really help yeah. with that application well, the, and process. And the other thing that, um, that I found interesting from Eliza's work is... Um, just how important it is to think about the ways nonprofits can upskill those in the lowest wage jobs, right? It, we started this conversation by trying to understand what what are the what's the um, the different impacts on different segments of the workforce, and so for the lowest wage workers, how can even beyond COVID, a way to help them be more economically resilient? is to move them from a lower wage job to a higher wage job. Um, and it reminds me of, of some of the really interesting work of nonprofit organizations like one in Boston called Found in Translation, which um, trains um, low-income women, low-wage earning women who are um, at least bilingual, if not multilingual, and teaches them to be medical interpreters. Mm. So that they upskill them in uh, in an area that is, as you can imagine, especially over the past two and a half years of COVID, uh, really need high demand. Right. Um, they give them those skills, and those skills in- include, you know, around medical terminology, about um, how to communicate health issues. And now, as medical interpreters, um, they are able to not only improve access to high quality healthcare in their communities. But now they're um, they're earning on average fourteen thousand dollars more annually wow. because of where they started versus where they ended for that. That's program. cool, and that's really interesting because you know during the recession, one of the areas of work that has not been declining, at least you know in- initially, was healthcare. You know, so that that would be a recession-proof 
kind of job. Right. And, you know, right. in general, we know that in recessions, it's not just COVID. Yeah. Generally, there is a tendency for lower wage people to be more likely to lose their jobs in recessions, whether it's COVID or any other recession. And that, you know, really speaks to the fact that recessions in general, right, increase inequality and as Eliza's paper show, one of the things that we can do is to beef up unemployment insurance to shore people's incomes up. But also, if we're able to upskill them, that can also serve as some form of insurance because by being higher skilled and or in a sector that is more recession proof, you know, they'd be less likely to. So I think it's it's not either or, is mm-hmm. and, you know, more skills and better insurance. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, it, well, and it also gets to when you when you think of it uh, of the um, not either or but and, then we start being able to imagine, and, and it's it's hard to do this given what the world has gone through. Imagine that um, you know what it means to build back better, <laughs> what it means to come out of crisis into um, uh, you know real recovery. And hopefully, um, more stronger and more resilient communities, right? If if we can upskill, have good policies, you know, I guess we're we're all waiting for that time where some of the crises that we're dealing with now are going to be way back in the rearview mirror. Right, but at least you know the silver lining. Hopefully, is that the crisis has shown that we can. Yeah. You know, if we step up to the yep. plate, we can protect people's income. And I think that's that's a critical lesson for the future. Yeah. Well, like I said, a policy bright spot that we should hold on to. <laughs> right. All right. I guess that's a wrap. Thanks, Kat. Good. Thanks, Joanna. <laughs>